as we begin, I know many of you have heard my testimony, and parts of it at least, but I was raised in a Christian home. Mom and Dad both loved the Lord very much. One of the things that my father so wanted was that every one of us children, and there were seven children, every one of us would be up and dressed and be down at the breakfast table for breakfast, that we would all eat the breakfast together and start the day together. And after our breakfast meal, <clears throat> Father, <clears throat> Father would uh, read some scripture, and then we all pushed our chairs back and we all knelt as we heard Mom and Dad pray. As a little child, a young boy, I came to know Christ as my personal Savior. And growing up in the Christian home, my father was very strict. We knew what was right and what was wrong. Things were black and things were white. There was no gray area. And we lived under that until I came 17 years of age when I came out of high school. And I left home for the first time to go to higher education, go to college. And so I got a job working on the afternoon. And it was a nice, easy job. I scooped coal all afternoon. And then I would go to school in the morning. But as I was all alone... And I began to observe other people, and they said they were Christians, and yet their lives didn't measure up. I couldn't quite put it all together. I was a teenager, and I was trying to put the puzzle together, but it just didn't fit. And I thought, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. And I remember hitchhiking home and telling my folks that I really respected their stand for Christ, but Dad... If that's Christianity that I see out in the world, I don't want it. I left home and I got a job. And uh, I was working for two or three years. And I came home, of course, occasionally to see the parents. And one weekend as I came home, and out of respect to mom and dad, I went to church. However, I've been ruling church out of my life. I didn't get into drugs or alcohol or all of that stuff. I just ruled God out. I'd live for self. And that day as I went to the service, and as I sat there and listened, the Holy Spirit began to work on me. And I sat there struggling. Do I want to change? And finally I gave in. And as the invitation was given, I walked down the aisle and I knelt at the altar it was there at the cross where I really saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. Immediately I wanted to tell everybody about the grace of God. I would speak to anyone, just stop and listen. The next week I enrolled in college and I took a Bible major and a speech minor so that I could go out and preach. And, of course, I was willing to preach anywhere. I was a freshman. Freshman knows everything. I didn't have much of an education, but I had my hymn book and my Bible, and I would try to preach. I remember going to my first speech class, and the speech professor said as we came to the end of the that first class said, Mr. Bergman, would you mind staying just for a moment? And everybody left, and after they had gone, 
she came over to me and she said, I understand that you want to be a minister. I said, yes, ma'am. Well, let me say it to you. Maybe you better change your profession. You'll never be able to speak in public. And I stood there and I looked at her and she said, you see, sir, you can't pronounce certain words. You run your words together. You talk like you've got mush in your mouth. And that's all she said. Although before I left, as I was walking out, she said, if you're determined, I'll try to help you. I left with a broken heart. I wanted to serve the Lord, but there was disappointment. However, it didn't. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I was knocked down, but not out. And I determined that I was going to speak wherever anybody asked. And so with my hymn book and my Bible, I didn't know how to put a message together, but just share your story. Tell them about Calvary. And so I would go preach. But then there were disappointments. Oh, so many disappointments. I remember one time I had finished speaking down in Spring Grove, Minnesota. And after the service was over that morning, a, a gentleman walked up to me and said, if there was somebody here this morning who didn't know Christ, did they know how to become a Christian to what you said? And I walked out and I said, Lord, didn't I make a plane? Disappointments. Another occasion speaking over in Wisconsin. And after I'd finished speaking, a very dignified gentleman came. In fact, I'd learned that he was the vice president of American Brass. And this dignified gentleman, a gracious man, and I'm sure he didn't want to hurt me. But he simply said, sir, you don't know how to pronounce names correctly. And you don't know how to use your helping verbs. I walked away discouraged. And we have all been there, haven't we? You've probably come and you wanted to receive a blessing. And, and maybe you see somebody that's performing like John and Jim. And they can do such marvelous things. And you say, well, I can't do that. And you go away discouraged. And that was what happened to me. And so this morning I'd like to I would like to give a message of encouragement. Now, if you'll permit me to step out of my comfort zone, for my comfort zone is evangelism. Of course, my wife says you'll get to that anyway. But uh, uh, <laughs> if I could just step out of that comfort zone, and if I could try something different, and so I'm struggling. In fact, as I came to church this morning, I've... I sat down in my little office, bowing my head, and said, Lord, who am I to be able to stand for you? Without the Holy Spirit, we're nothing. So I bowed my head and prayed, Lord, if you don't go with me, I can't go it alone. Then I had the promise, Paul, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I don't want you to do it. Let me do it through you. And so by your permission, I'd like to, to do something, and I'm going to go the second mile. Also, will you permit me to use some thoughts from another individual? And I'll refer to him in just a moment. 
But for a starting point, will you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. It's easier to forgive you than to get permission. And so uh, forgive me. You see, I'm so trained in the King James, it's awfully hard to get to the pulpit Bible, pew Bible. But I went over the pew Bible, and there's just a couple words different. So you follow along, but I'll read because I have my Bible so marked. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse let me see. Let's start with verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many who are men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confuse the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The burden of my message in this morning is to show you that, and prove to you by the word of God, that God can take ordinary men, ordinary women, ordinary people, and put them, his ordinary power within them, and do great things. Maybe I should stop right now. Maybe I should find out how many great people are in our audience this morning. Let me ask you a few questions. Now, don't raise your hand, and you don't have to stand up, but in your heart, how many of you this morning have been in the Football Hall of Fame? How many have been in the Scholastic Hall of Fame? What about the any Hall of Fame? <laughs> you know. Let me ask you ladies. How many of you have been Miss America? How many of you have been Mrs. America? Let me ask another question. Let's go back to those who have had higher education. How many of you were Phi Beta Kappa? How many of you were seniors in your class? How many of you who were who's who in America? How many have been President of the United States? How many have had the Nobel Prize? You see, are you still thinking with me? If you have never been in any of those things, I've got good news for you. For God can use you too. Now, thank God, he does use the Phi Beta Kappas, and he uses the presidents, and he uses these great men of ability. But he can use us. You see, and if you've won nothing but the booby prize, God can use you. You see, I want you to see this morning that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Now look with me at our text. Now look what it says. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world and the things of the world to confuse those that are in the world. When you begin to give your testimony, is there a lump in your throat? Does your heart beat faster? That's great. That's the way it's supposed to be. What about verse 28? God has chosen to face things. Do you feel insignificant? Well, don't stop reading. And the things which are not. Well, you say, Paul, 
They not only don't like me, they don't even know that I'm here. My friend, take heart. The Bible is telling us that God has chosen these kind of people to, uh, to somehow put them in their little bowl of his wisdom and mixing them all together. And then he brings glory to himself. You know, the foolishness of preaching, and Paul said in verse 23, if you go down to verse 20, up to verse 23, we preach Christ. Crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block. Under the Jews or the Greeks, foolishness. But God takes that message of the cross, which the world calls foolish, and he takes the weak messenger, you and me, and he puts them in the crucible of his wisdom, and he brings glory to himself. Now let's keep in mind three things here as we think of the qualifications of this person that God is going to use. First of all, God doesn't say not any mighty, nor not any noble. It just says, not many. Why, Paul the Apostle, who wrote these words, could be the CEO of any organization. He could be the president of any university. He had a great mind. He had a mighty and eloquence. And he writes these words and he says, but God isn't using these type of people necessarily. He's using the ordinary individual. Secondly, we find that when we talk about God using anybody, I'm not making an excuse for laziness or half-hearted. You know, don't be just mediocre about it. I like that about John at the piano. He means business. And he does it for the glory of God. You might be a singer with a mediocre voice. But if you're a Christian, you ought to be able to sing for the glory of God. Oh, I shouldn't bring anything humorous, but it's coming out. Uh, I'm thinking of one young fellow. Oh, how he wanted to be a, a, a great soloist. And he just begged God and begged God, make me a great singer. Please, God, I've got to be a great singer. And finally he says, he said, after I prayed so long, pretty soon the Lord said to him, Son, I'll not make you a great singer, but I'll give you an audience that don't know the difference. <laughs> you see, my dear people, you may not be a great scholar with a lot of gray matter, Maybe you don't have mountains of muscles with bulging biceps, but if you are a Christian, now listen carefully, if you are a Christian, you ought to present that body that you have unto the Lord. Every nerve, every fiber, every corpuscle, every ounce, every inch of that body that we have ought to be given to God. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. It just takes all of him. And that's what God is wanting when we think of the qualifications of being in God's Hall of Fame. But there's something else. God wants to take that ordinary person and give them extraordinary power. God wants to, us to serve Him in a mighty, glorious, dynamic way. Our dear Lord wants to use you and use me to move people to Himself. So God says, I'm not ch chosen to you Necessary. You have, I have chosen you and ordained you that you, you, you should go. These are some of the qualifications, but let me illustrate them. There's where I get a little bit easier. 
these qualifications and these illustrations. Look what God says. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confuse the world. That word foolish comes from a Greek word that we get our word moron. You know? What's a moron? That's the non-intellectual. How can we illustrate it? Well, the best illustration I could think of is Billy Sunday. You know, Billy Sunday was not a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, he had only a high school education. He had some laughable ideas. He did some strange things when he preached. Uh, but he preached with a heart for God. According to his biography, they said that one time he did a somersault upon the platform to illustrate repentance. I don't know how he did that. Another time he picked up a chair and he broke it over the pulpit. But the people that listened said that when he turned to speak and he took the word of God and began to preach, he said that hell was hot and heaven was sweet. Sin is black. Judgment is sure. Jesus saves. And then he would ask people to come. And they would come and they would kneel. He turned thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And the intellectuals of his day stand back and said, how did he do it? I'm talking about the PhDs and the THDs. And they're saying, God didn't use us. How can he use this foolish man? But God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. But we go on. I'm just using an illustration here. God had chosen the weak things of the world. To confuse the things which are mighty. This word weak means physical weakness. Or you could say sickly. And God chose these people like that. Down in Merritt Island, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And I think that Paul has put on the Adrian Rogers. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But years ago, when I was going through this thing of being so discouraged... As a young man, I, I went to a Bible conference, and all alone I went up into the balcony, and there I sat, and I could hardly see the speaker down on the platform. And they introduced Dr. Adrian Rogers, and I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard of him before. But he was a great man of God that was used in the South, and he was an orator. And oh, how he could sway with his vocabulary. And I remember sitting up there on that balcony, and they introduced Adrian, and he stepped to the pulpit, and he began to speak. And as he began, if I can recall, the, I think perhaps very words that he said, he said, ladies and gentlemen, the message of my message, the burden of my message tonight is to be an encourager. And I sat up, and I listened intently. Some of the things that he said just struck a heart. I never forgot them. It's years ago, maybe 40 years ago now. But I remember, and I'd like to use the story. There in Merritt Island, when Dr. Adrian Rogers was there, and he told the story about wheat things. He said that that church that he served decided that one year they would have what they would call a week with the champions. And so they wrote to the... Uh, 
Athletes in Action and all of these great organizations and asked if some of these athletes would come and share their testimony. And every night they'd have a different individual. And so the football players came and the baseball players came and the wrestlers came. And these people all came. And every night they had a meeting. They rented the school gymnasium. The place was filled with people. But just before the service began, every evening, they would have a little testimony meeting. Anybody could stand and give their testimony. Then they would have their regular service. And on one particular uh, night, Paul Anderson, the weightlifter of the world, strong man, uh, he's about five foot eight. Uh, he looks a little fat. But you touch him, he's like steel. Someone asked him, were you ever a 97-pound weakling? He said, yes, when I was four years old. But, uh, but Paul, Paul uh, was there, and, and he gave the message, and he had testimony. And he made it very clear, and he said something like this. He said, if the world's strongest man needs Jesus Christ, so do you. Now, that was clear. That was positive. Well, the services were over. That Sunday, Adrian said he preached in his own pulpit. When he gave the invitation, a young college student came forward and knelt. And Adrian said he knelt down beside him. And as he knelt down beside him, he said, Did you come to be, receive Christ as your Savior? He said, No, I'm already a Christian. Well, when did you become a Christian? I became a Christian during the, the week of the champions. Well, Adrian said, well, what night was that? He said, well, that was on Wednesday night. And Adrian thought, and he thought, uh, who was on Wednesday night? And he said, well, what did, what did Paul Anderson say that turned you to Christ? I don't know anything what Paul Anderson said. Well, what was it then that night that turned you to Christ? Oh, he said it was Mr. Wilson, you know. And then all of a sudden, Adrian remembered there was a paraplegic in a wheelchair. And he wheeled his wheelchair down to the front of that auditorium. He swung it around and he said to the great crowd, his testimony for Christ and how the joy of the Lord was in his heart sitting in a wheelchair. That young man said, I saw Mr. Wilson in a wheelchair. And if God can do that for a paraplegic, what could he do for me with two set of legs? And I turned my life to Christ. Folks, God has chosen the weak things. Here was the strongest man in the world, but God didn't use him. God used a paraplegic in a wheelchair. And... Then what does it say? And God has chosen the base things. What does the word base mean? It means low birth. It means the ignoble. It means without pedigree. It means that you're born on the wrong side of the tracks. I'm a nobody. I attended John Fletcher College for my liberal arts degree. And uh, uh, they had a rule in that college because it was a Christian college that every boy that was going into seminary had to preach in the college chapel before they left. And so we all put it 
put it off, put it off. I put it off to almost the last day. I, I, I'd been preaching, but oh, to stand before your peers. And I didn't know how to put the message together. And I remember the dean that introduced me and the dean of the school afterwards met me. And she said, I've sat behind these young men as they have preached. And their knees shook, but after a few minutes, then they, they were okay. He said, when you were still shaking at the end, I felt so sorry for you. It reminded me of a young fellow in another college, and he came from the south, a little farm kid. He had to do his preaching. He got up, and with a stammering southern drool, he said, you know, I was born in a very poor family, and I, I didn't have the chance, like many others, to be brought up in a log cabin. But I'll tell you, when my folks had enough, we bought one and we moved in. You see, low birth. And it reminds me of Gideon. Remember Gideon? Here was Gideon, a young farm kid. And he was down hiding in the wine press. And he was threshing out the grain for the family. And all of a sudden, this kid that was so scared, I guess I better stave up here, haven't I? And he was so scared, and the angel of the Lord came upon him and said, Thou mighty man of valor. I want you to lead the people of Israel against the Midianites. And I can just see Gideon looking up and say, Lord, me? You can't use me. My family is the least in Israel. And I'm the least in my family. I'm the runt of the litter. You can't use me. And I think the Lord said, I think he's just low enough I can use. And Gideon came out of that wine press. He rounded up 32,000 soldiers. And God said, Gideon, you've got too many. So the Lord kind of whittled down his army until he had 300. And Gideon, with 300 men, went out and he won a battle for God. You see, God has chosen the base things of the world to confuse the wise. You know, we just have to surrender our lives to Christ. And then God takes the, I go to the next one, and it says, And God has chosen the things that are despised. I don't even know how to go about this. But I was thinking of David. And David, that little shepherd boy, his brother's in the army. And his dad says to David that early morning, Son, take this little lunch. Take it out to your brothers and find out how things are going. And I can see David going across the prairie land, down the hill and up over. And as he come within sight of the battleground, and it was taking place on two mountain hills. On this side was Israel, on that side was the Philistines, down below was the valley. And as he approached that scene, he saw down in the valley a man nearly ten feet tall. And he heard this man cry over to Israel, You sissies of Israel, send you a man down here and fight me. And Israel was running for cover. And this man, Goliath, was cursing and swearing and defying God. And it broke the heart of little David. And David found his way into the Israeli army. And he found his brothers with the other army soldiers 
They were hiding behind the rocks, you know, shaking with patriotism. And there they were as they were back in those rocks. David walks up with that little lunch and he hands those boys the cheeseburgers and the french fries. And as they were eating, David said to his brothers, Fellas, why don't you go down there and fight him? Those boys looked at that little boy, that teenager, and said, My dear friend, why don't you go down there? David walked away and said, I think I'll just do that. You know, everybody was saying, Look how big he is. And David in his heart was saying, look how small he is to God. They were saying, he's too big to hit. David said, he's too big to miss. With his little slingshot, he started down. And as he walked down towards Goliath, Goliath began to, in his heart, saying, what? Are they thinking about? Are they sending a little kid to fight me? And he became so angry, he turned to little David and he said, Son, when you get close to me, I'm going to take you and I'm going to break every bone in your body. (laughs) I like to think David just smiled. And he kept right on walking right towards Goliath. And when he got close enough, he put a stone in the sling and he began to swing it around his head. And when he got just with the right distance, he let it go and it hit him right in the forehead. And down that man went. And when the Philistine army saw that their giant was down, everybody began to run for their lives. And Israel running after them. And what happened? Next statement in the scriptures telling the story said that David wanted to let the world know there was a God around here somewhere. That's it, folks. Do you want the people around our area to know there's a God around here? They won't know if a Ph.D. comes here and dazzles them with his education. But he'll take you and me, just ordinary people, and then God gets the glory. My time is nearly gone, but but I've got to say something about the last. It says, God chooses things which are not to bring to naught things which are. What are the things which are not? Those are the things who people are nobodies in their mind. They're not mentioned in the evening news. They're never asked to sing a solo. Nobody really knows who they are. They're just God's little nobodies who are really somebody. And the strange thing is that these people don't even know that God is using them. Could I be very personal? Over in the nursery, even this morning, there's somebody that's got a little baby, maybe giving them the bottle. Or maybe somebody else has got a little child, and they're rocking that little child because he's restless. Why? So that the moms and dads could come in and worship this morning. 
These are men and women that God is using. You know, those who were not to bring to naught things that are. You see, God has taken the ordinary and made them extraordinary. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. I've struggled, but you folks know me, and you know I love every one of you, and I love our church. But could I speak to my, from my heart? And please take it on the right spirit. But folks, do you know what's so wrong with so many of us? Do you know what's wrong with so much of our preaching and our singing and our serving? I'm afraid it's just flesh on parade. And God says, I will not share my glory with another. God chooses the ordinary people, sometimes an extraordinary. But God chooses the ordinary people to confound the things of the world. When you and I came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit came into our lives, and he lives within us. Therefore, all of God's provision is given to us to live in a broken world, a frustrated world. However, God's program is that we are to yield to the ministry of the Spirit. And let him control my sister Annabelle. I had lunch with her this week. She just lost her husband a short time ago. She's lonely. And they're living alone and adjusting. And as we were having lunch together, she looked and she said, Paul, you know, I've always known that the Holy Spirit is living within me. But then one day I, I begin to realize I have all the Holy Spirit. But does he have all of me? And I begin to yield. The Bible says, yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead. You see, my friends, the concept is surrender. And surrender is simply giving up to God. Oh, we like the word commit today. We have a lot of people saying, I'm committed. Listen, my friends, listen carefully. When you and I are committed, we're still in charge. But when I surrender, I'm no longer in charge. And when I surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, he begins to move in. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul, he said, I beg of you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed into the image of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word present your bodies here in the Greek text is the same word yield or surrender. And it's, folks, it's only when we surrender and the Holy Spirit moves in and self moves out. God takes over. Word, isn't it true? It's not by programs or personalities, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Do I dare 
go a little deeper. Folks, there are many today who are saying they are living the Christian life. Yet those same people carry animosity and bitterness and hatred in their hearts. My dear folks, that can't be. That's hypocrisy. We have been together, and I've had the privilege, and you folks have been so kind to us, to let me stay and to minister here in the church. For so many years, God has moved in the hearts of people, and he's pushed us closer and closer to the Lord. We've seen many come and come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But folks, I'm seeing something happen. It seems that when we come together, there isn't a joy or the excitement that we once had in the walk with the Lord. We have our programs. We have our times of worship. But something is missing. And somehow or another, if I can say it kindly, we need revival. I think the Lord has given us the, the formula. And he said these words, If my people, that's us, who call by my name, that's us, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, that's it, turn from self, then God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. But the question is, my dear people this morning, are we willing to humble ourselves and surrender? He'll do the rest. But it's hard, isn't it? Oh, it's so hard. The Lord has given me the privilege of of being in the ministry for many years. And I thank God that he has. But the older I grow, I feel more like the Apostle Paul. I am the least of all is disgrace given. But God takes just the ordinary people and he moves in their heart by the moving of the Holy Spirit and he moves us into our little world and God gets the glory. A young boy by the name of Dwight L. Moody went to a church service and he sat way up in the balcony. And as a young man, as he was sitting there, he heard the words from Henry Valerie, who was the speaker. I will never leave you, and the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully yielded to him. And sitting up there in that balcony, Dwight L. Moody said, Oh God, I want to be that man. And if you've read the biography of Dwight L. Moody, he shook two continents for Christ. And perhaps he was that man. But when Dwight Moody was on his deathbed, and his family was gathered around him, and I wrote down what he said. He said, When I was a boy, I heard Henry Valerie say, The world has yet to see 
what God can do with a man who was yielded fully to him. And I said, I want to be that man. But now that I've lived my life, I think I can challenge you. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man that is fully yielded to him. Do we want to be that kind of a person? It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Are we willing to be surrendered, taking our hands off, and let the Holy Spirit move through us? For what does it say? God has chosen the foolish things and the weak things and the base things and the despised things and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. And friends, this morning, I want to be that kind of a man. Father, you know our needs today. And we pray, Lord, that you'll take each of our lives and live through us. Oh, help us to realize that it's not us, it's not our ability, but it's our availability. And help us to surrender to you. For this is our prayer. And while our heads are bowed, and just for a moment, I wonder this morning if maybe you've been discouraged. And you've seen people perform, and you say, I can't do that. I would go to listen to people as a young man, and I would see them with tremendous oratory and speak. And I would say, well, God, I can't do that. But God can take an ordinary man or an ordinary person and confound the wise. And I wonder this morning if you're willing to examine your own heart and right where you're sitting, would you say, Lord, I want to be that man. I'll take my hands off and, and you live through me. And I'd like to just for a moment, in silence, you pray and you talk to the Lord about it. And I'll commit ourselves to Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of becoming a child of God. And this morning we have come together because we love you. The weather is not conducive, but we have come. And we pray, O oh God, that you will clothe us with your spirit. Will you put your arm around our shoulders and your hands over my lips? And as we move out into our world, we pray that you will help us to confound the wise as they see God moving in our lives. Take every individual. Here we are. We surrender. Accept our lives as a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.